Hello, everybody. Welcome to Nerd Rant Live. I am your host, the Every Nerd, aka Jack Archer, aka Darian Rise Grease Christian, the guy with the weird ass name on Facebook, aka that guy who seems to know everybody at cons in the Midwest. Your everyday blurred. How was everybody today? I have my not my first ever guest, my second ever guest today with me. Her name is Jenna. She's an old friend from college, and she is going to join me for our podcast today on Avatar The Last Airbender. Jenna, feel free to introduce yourself. All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Jenna. Uh, I am from the Midwest, but I'm from the Chicago area. Um, I've been to a lot of cons. I've watched a lot of anime. I've read a lot of books so i'm really happy to be a part of this so thank you very much darian for inviting me on yeah as we all know we got to do stuff to get on get on the brighter side of things going into especially with the pandemic and everything everything that's going on nowadays we got we all have to have something else that we can also focus on so i am doing this podcast with jenna and of course anchor thank you for making such a beautiful, beautiful app. This is a shout out to you guys. Um, so Jenna, how have you been dealing with stuff in pandemic lately? Well, to be honest, the second half of the semester was a little bit rocky. Um, I didn't come out with the grades I wanted to as far as school goes. And like just adapting to doing everything online. Like I've taken online classes in the past. I've had to, I have a pretty hefty major, but um, just, like the amount of work that I had to coordinate online every day was pretty insane. It was really difficult for me to adapt to it. But after the um, semester ended, like literally two, three weeks ago, I had absolutely nothing to do. So I tried to find hobbies, which is not easy. <laughs> but um, No, especially had- since like... I ended up rewatching a lot of things, including Avatar The Last Airbender. I just finished watching the season finale with my sister last night. We watched all four parts of Sosin's Comet, so it was a really good episode, and I forgot how much I liked them. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna talk we're gonna talk a lot about Avatar The Last Ender Airbender today. As you can tell, I'm totally on the ball with pronouncing things perfectly. <laughs> Um, but we're going to talk about all about Avatar The Last Airbender and how it has affected so many people. And most importantly, we're going to address the question, is it or is it not anime? And how I feel about it, but we will, that's a question for another day. But Jenna, you also had something to say? I'm sorry I cut you off. No, it's all right. I was just going to say, so long as you don't call Sokka Soka, we're good. We don't want any of that movie shit in here. We are only talking about the show. We're, we're, that movie does not exist. That movie does not exist. And f- even though I have a very limited uh, audience for this podcast, I don't care if you like that movie. I don't care if you saw that movie first. We will never talk about the movie. A, because it's an unfinished franchise and it will never be finished. So a lot has happened since my last podcast. A lot has happened. Um, I wanted to get into a couple of things. First off, we got the Percy Jackson future adaptation on Disney Plus, and it is going to be 100% truthful to the books. 
the characters are going to be actually age appropriate. So they will not have a 16 year old Percy Jackson. Um, they will have a 10 to 11 to 12 year old as Percy Jackson. And I cannot wait to see that because a is not really done from that young of an age. And I don't think it's been done since, I don't think it's been done since Narnia and Harry Potter. Now that I think about it. No, I don't think we've had something like that with that much of a child cast done since the time of Harry Potter. Honestly, Narnia, yeah, Lucy was pretty young, and so was Edmund, but the others weren't exactly around that age where you were kind of like, oh, are we going to have trouble with this child cast? But honestly, I really am looking forward to see how this comes out, because I am also a huge Percy Jackson fan. I have read every book since The Lightning Thief. I own almost every book. You were with me when I spent 60 bucks to get the remaining piece of the series, <laughs> but um, oh yeah, uh, my sister came to me <laughs> and showed me the tweet from Rick saying, "Yeah, we're going to be doing the TV series," and I was I just about lost it. I just about lost it because <laughs> I, I I I legitimately started crying hysterically. I'm like, "Oh my god, it's real! It's real!" It was like. Yeah, and I, I, oh, my biggest thing was, and I've told a lot of people this, there was nothing wrong with the first Percy Jackson adaptation, the first one. It was a good movie, not a great adaptation, but a good movie. It's when that pesky second one came out that it ruined everything. Yeah, they got... Because it was... I think that they got some things wrong in both movies, and they did some things right. The one thing that tops off my head in the second movie that I was glad that they changed, but the way they did it wasn't the best, was they dyed Alexandra's hair blonde. And she's a child of Athena. Her hair is supposed to be blonde, and her eyes are supposed to be gray. The character look was one of the things that I was really upset about. So, I I can totally get on with her being... Annabeth like she kind of embodies Annabeth to me um in the way that she acts but honestly the way that she looked didn't match and I think that they did an okay job at adapting that for the second movie but honestly what else went right (laughs) no it literally went off the rails like they were trying to do too I, I really think that they tried to do way too much in that second movie it's like and I, I've, I will go on record to say this. Rick Reardon's books were made to be made into television and movies. They were made to. Everything in those books is easily understandable and translatable. It was made to be made into a television series, an animated series, or a movie. It was made for it. Who's really looking forward to seeing when they and, do the King Chronicles? Because honestly, that was my favorite trilogy. <laughs> Well, maybe I'm just too much of a fan of Egyptian mythology. If, if I no, I, I really think we need to get Lightning Thief and finish the Olympians right off the bat first, um, and that's going to take five years. Probably, but um, the Kane Chronicles, if I remember right take place in line. I do not quote me on this, but I believe they start just after titan's curse or battle of the labyrinth 
I don't remember which one, but I believe that's when they're supposed to start chronologically. Like within the world. Yes, I believe chronologically that's when it starts because it's right after Titan's Curse that like Can Chronicles and everything starts to happen chronologically. Like, okay, so I've never actually told this story to anybody is I did not become a Percy Jackson fan until I was a legal adult. I started reading these books when the movie came out in 2012. And I remember because one of the classes I was in went shopping to like the local Walmart for food because we were cooking stuff. So, and then I'm just walking by and there's the first book. I still have that book. It was a paperback and it is destroyed now, but like it is, yeah, it is. I literally looked at this book and I'm like, I've seen the trailers for that movie on, on like online a lot. So, you know what? Let's try out the books. I wonder if the books are good because at that time, like, Book to te- like uh, book to movies were not si- they weren't resonating with me the way that Harry Potter did. And I was looking for I had like a void when that happened, so I'm like, let's give it a shot. I took the book, I bought the book, I went, I read it on the way back to school. I read it when we had downtime, and before I knew it, I finished the book by the end of the day, yeah. and completely lost my crap and loved it, loved it. It was like Percy Jackson. Okay, you know, the way I consider a book to be good is if I cannot put it down and I finish it within a day. Definitely. Because I've only ever done that with Harry Potter books. I've only ever done that. Like other books, it'll take me like a week or so to read. read. And the later, like Olympian stuff, like Trials of Apollo, I don't finish in a day anymore. Like, and that's only because I'm an actual adult now. We but have like, responsibilities, adulting. <laughs> we have responsibilities, but like now, like I think th- all throughout the Heroes of the Olympus series, I think the last one that I didn't finish in a day was ironically Blood of Olympus, which I'm glad I didn't because if I had, I probably would have shot myself. <laughs> well, we had to wait for forever until and we probably wouldn't have slept that night. That, so, but. It's yeah, like what? How many series? There's the original Blood of Olympus, or uh, Here's Olympus. It's on my shelf, like right yeah, behind my desk. There the, is uh, one, two, five different series. Oh, yeah, there, I think it's five because you have Percy Jackson and the Olympians, okay. Heroes of Olympus, um, Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard. You have, um, and these are just Reardon books. Tries of Apollo, and then Kane Chronicles. Those are all Reardon books. Like, Reardon now has Reardon... Um, I don't remember what the what the um, imprint is called. It's like Reardon Reads or Reardon's Books or Reardon's Publishing, whatever, where they now go into, like, all mythologies from around the world. I've only read one of them, and that's the Stormrunner ones, because I was really interested to see about all these other authors or authors writing these series because i i always think that that's interesting um but i've heard good things about arusha yeah, um i have been I, looking at doing so the ones that i really liked um were the crossovers that they did between um king chronicles and the original um uh the original lightning thief books because the interaction between yeah. those characters like 
Sadie and Annabeth and Percy and Carter. It's, <laughs> it's kind of hilarious to like see somebody get into yes, uh, these characters again. And it's hilarious to be in the know and see them like, coming in from both sides. And I think everybody's in that boat with them. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm very much like I like um the Magnus crossover with Magnus and of course Annabeth. The only downside about that was I read the Magnus Chase books thinking it would be five books because I read on multiple different spots that there were going to be five books. So when I finished the third, there was only going to be three, and it ruined the book for me. It it has since ruined the book for me, and I have not read it since because I'm like, okay, there's going to be more. There's going to be more. There's going to be more. There's nothing. I still have Fuck. yet to read the third Magnus Chase books. Don't come after me for it. But um, the third Magnus Chase... No, no, no. I'm not going to go after you for it, but at least you know. Yeah. The third Magnus Chase, and I believe there's four Trials of Apollo books. I've only read the first two, so I still have to get the last two. Yeah. Like, I have to buy them. So I'm still not full. I have three books left that I need to buy. That's going to be another 60 bucks. But... <laughs> You you've got until October to get caught up because our last the last Trials of Apollo book comes out there and that's the Tower of Narrow. <laughs> I am excited for that book. Meanwhile, um, since we're on the topic of books and we will get to Avatar not too long from now, um, I've recently bought like four or five books in literally like the last two weeks it's it's pretty excessive um i decided to start the um the alchemist books by michael scott um it's about nicholas ramel Um, it wasn't at the time that i was looking at them it wasn't what i was looking for in a book so for now i'm gonna put them off for a little while but they are on my list to be read eventually because they sound good it's yeah and then thing at the moment yeah, I, I'm just really trying to find, like, other books to read. The other books I'm trying are um, one of my – I cannot remember the author's name, so I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to butcher that and put that on the internet. Um, and the other one is the um, Camelot Wars, which is King Arthur in the modern age. So it's a reverse. Um, uh, it's like oh, yeah, and I, it's by Michael uh, – Connecticut Yanking King Arthur's Court sort of situation. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really excited for it because it basically has a reincarnated King Arthur as a kid. And like, or not as a kid, but it's like Merlin basically keeping watch over Excalibur on this dead island for centuries after Arthur's death. And Arthur gets reincarnated and a kid walks up to the island. And this is just the opening. It's only like the first chapter that I'm mildly spoiling. The kid walks up to it and Merlin stops him. He stops him. And like, as the kid reaches for Excalibur, lightning, darkness, all this really messed up stuff starts to happen. And right before he grabs it, Merlin's just pleading in his mind, don't let him take it. Don't let him pick it up. It's going to be all these awful things that are going to happen to this child. And thankfully the child like lets go. And, or doesn't even let go. He doesn't even touch it. And then in Merlin's mind, Excalibur goes, okay, fine. I'm not going to take him just yet, but make no mistake, that boy will be my king one day. And 
I will, I will lay claim to Arthur once again, and we will enact justice or some stuff like that. It is a haunting, haunting moment, and I am excited to read the rest of it. Awesome, and I may like I'm writing that down right now because I'm definitely looking into that. Yeah, all right. So it is the Camelot Wars series by Michael Clary. That's Clary, C-L-A-R-Y. For you and for people listening to this podcast. And the other two books are, and then I'll mention the other book later, but another book I really want to get off my chest that I've I had my eye on on the internet forever. You guys get all see like on Facebook, you know, those books that are like, oh, here, read this ebook. It's like Percy Jackson and like all this stuff. There was one book that really reached out to me and has like literally caught my eye. It's called Dark and Day by Jacob Israel Gray. And it's basically Harry Potter mixed in with Final Fantasy mixed in with like some mecha style stuff and it's basically on a planet where part of the planet is in perpetual day and the other half of the planet is in perpetual night so on the day side there's magic there's like elves there's sunlight everywhere there is knights myths magic wizards all that stuff and then you go to the dark side of the planet you have machines, you have mecha, you have big, big encompassing cities, Ooh, technology yeah. everywhere, and they're constantly in a state of war. Because it's, it's fantasy and sci-fi yeah. put together, and I don't know if you guys know me about this, but, like, know this about me, but I am a huge fan of both, and combining the two sounds like pure heaven. <laughs> Yeah, there's currently a comic book out there, actually, that is free. It's free that you can go out there and read. It's very short, and it's a nice little tidbit, and you get to actually look into what the world looks like. Um, The art on this series I actually really like. They have a different artist for the comic book, but regardless, I say go try Darkened Day by Jacob Israel Gray. Um, his books can only be sold, to my knowledge, off of Amazon. Of course, if you don't want to support Amazon, that's fine. But I'm, I'm for like, I'm, I'm so entranced with this entire world and mythology. I, I've got to try it. So give it a shot if you'd like. Um, I think he has a deal where if you buy, or there was at one point where he had a deal where if you bought the full book, you also got the ebook as well. So for those Kindle users out there, you get both. So, yeah. So that's enough shameless self-promotion for uh, me. Why don't you do see. one, Jenna? What have I read recently? I just finished actually a four-part series called the Finishing School series. I've, I've uh, suggested this to a few of my friends. It is a sort of Victorian England steampunk sort of feel to it. And it's about a school, a finishing school. It's a flying finishing school. It is on a dirigible. So that already is really freaking cool. But um, the other side of it is this finishing school is masked. And it's actually 
a school of espionage for the young lady. So we are talking young ladies of quality learning the tools of espionage that can be used while wearing a corset and multiple petticoats. And it's actually really good. <laughs> oh my goodness. It sounds like the opposite of oh, like awesome. Kingsman, but for women. Kingsman is a really good um it's a really good comparison. Um but I would say that I like Etiquette and Espionage and the following books a lot better. So the first book is called Etiquette and Espionage by Gail Carriger. And there are three books after that that you will definitely enjoy just as much as the first one. And for the guys who listen to this, I did suggest this to a few of my guy friends. And they said they could definitely tell it was for a female audience, but they still enjoyed it. So, like, I don't know if you guys would be interesting in picking it up, but uh, I would definitely go for it if you like the sort of steampunk feel that some books do have. Um, other than that, I've been reading through a series called The Immortal Descendants by uh, April White. Now, this one I don't know if you can get um off of amazon or not i believe you can i get them from my library over ebook so that's one thing but um they're a little bit how do i i don't know what a good comparison would be for these but the it's um, okay do your best the main idea of it is there's five families that are descended from the five immortals there's death, nature, time, fate, and war. So there's five different, well, technically four different families that are descended from those five immortals. Technically, death doesn't have any descendants, but that's addressed in the book, so I will not spoil it. Um, but it's a little bit, the first one is called Marking Time, and it involves time travel and the Jack the Ripper murders. I will just say one of the best adaptations of that murder mystery ever. And like, I've watched the episode of Black Butler where they introduce um, another main character. I won't spoil who because that one is kind of like the lady in red and the other lady in red. So, <laughs> um, I really like that uh, they incorporate that sort of historical aspect. And then they also, like, as you get into the later books, they also, like, introduce other historical events, like Elizabeth Tudor, going back to Joan of Arc. Um, and I haven't gotten through the fourth and fifth book yet, so I can't say what happens there. But holy crap, it is so much fun to read through these and, like, feel like I'm absorbing the historical knowledge, even though she admits in one of her books that she did flub the dates of a few of them just so that they would line up with something like um, a major plot point in the book. But um, it's, 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 um, it's all right. It happens. Because, I mean, in a way, 
in a way, this could be the new timeline, it could be a different timeline, but it's always really fun to see how they incorporate that sort of thing. So that's my tangent on that. Those are the two books and series that I have been reading lately. Um, other than that, I started rereading the Harry Potter series for no apparent reason, probably because I, I ran out of things to read. That was, uh, I, that, ironically, I that's actually me too. One and I'm like, you know what? I haven't read it in a while. Sorcerer's Stone. So I picked that up again. <laughs> it. And also the first Lord of the Rings, but that's because I just, I love that series too, so. I started reading, rereading it, and I realized, like, I realized, like, just, like, recently how much I dislike now as an adult the Chamber of Secrets. That's my to me, I hate that book now. It's, I hate that book now so much because it's, like, none of the good stuff's happening right now. Nothing's happening. I just want to get through this book so I can get the Prisoner of Azkaban already. And I... At a certain point, everything just becomes cringy in that book, and I'm just like, "Why is the first one's <laughs> cringier? Not cringier than number four, no, but like, but I I am such a fan of Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, not so much Half Blood Prince, and but like my three favorite books are Goblet of Fire. Order of the Phoenix and Deathly Hollows. Those are my three favorite books. Um, It used to be, but I can't say I remember much about reading the last four books because I read them when I was in about fourth grade. So it's been a long time, and I was still reading them before Deathly. Like I don't think Deathly Hollows was out at the point where I started reading. So, and I'm only twenty, guys. This is. Like I'm, I'm only twenty yeah, years old. And like, so this, I was when I was younger. Yeah. Like these were still coming out, but like the first one came out in what ninety eight, so like a year before I was born. Yeah, I think it was like so ninety eight, ninety nine. I wasn't even born when these started, but like fourth grade, I think they were still coming out with the last one. And it was it was a big deal. I actually remember going to a launch event for it. Yeah, um, I was really young. We walked into a Borders, which ages me a little bit. But uh, we walked into a Borders, and they had like every every it ages everybody, <laughs> everybody when you talk about was Borders. In robes, and I couldn't figure out why until I saw the huge poster of the Deathly Hollows book and um, like uh, a bunch of people with brand new copies of the book so it was really awesome to watch (laughs) yeah um i remember i don't remember buying order of the phoenix i don't remember buying um definitely or half-blood prince because of the depressive episode i went through right after reading half-blood prince um but um i do remember to this day how my day went when I went and got Deathly Hollows. I remember distinctly getting in my car and going to a Walmart that's that is no longer there in Waukesha. It's now a completely different for people of the area in Wisconsin. It's they know where the Walmart used to be um, out in Waukesha, but now they have since moved to a different location and now that location is no longer there. But as soon as you walked in, there was a pile, pile on a flat literally sitting in the 
right in the opening lobby. You walk right through the front door, and there's a pile of Deathly Hollows books there. I literally walked in, grabbed the book, and said, Mom, let's go. And she's like, yeah, we're, don't worry. I got to buy a few things. Like, no, Mom, I can't. What, what if they yell at me for reading the book in here and spoiling the first chapter and screaming about it? And she's like, yeah, I guess you're right. And then she sent my brother to go grab, like, everything that she apparently needed. And I'm just like, Mom, you know what? Why don't you just go buy your things? Let me have the money to go buy the book right now, and I'll go out to the car and read it. And she's like, yeah, that's right. Here you go. Give him my money. I run straight out to the car and start reading immediately. Like my brother got back into the car and he's like, my brother got back out to the car and he's like, hey, dude, what's no, no, not now. Not now. I'm not even through the first chapter yet. And I'm just like, not now. And I'm just reading, reading, reading. We're home. This is about a 20 minute drive. I'm, uh, I just started the second chapter. Get in, Go into my room and shut the door and I do not come out at all. At all. Until I oh, shit God. you not, four in the morning. Yeah, I've done that before. I didn't. I finished the book by four in the morning, and yeah, that's a long book. It, it is, I didn't skip lines. Is, I didn't jump I'm chapters. At, um, a larger hardcover version, and it is the thickest one that is in there, besides maybe five, because five is pretty thick. Yeah, and it is. It's a long book, and I finished it, and I think I got home at about 1 o'clock. So from 1 o'clock in the afternoon until 3, 4 in the morning, and I had one panic attack, and I guarantee you people had the same panic attack when they read Deathly Hollows for the first time, is when Hermione's being held at knife point by Bellatrix or Strange, and you've seen the illustration, like... I had a panic attack and just started hardcore reading, hardcore reading. I'm just like, if she's dead, I'm going to take this book and burn it. I'm going to take this book and burn it. If she's dead, I'm taking this book and burning it and just never reading the ending. And it's been over 10 years, people. I'm going to spoil it right now. But anyway, it, I remember just, Looking out the door and seeing the sun rise from like the sun, I'm like, oh my god! I spent 14 hours reading this. True readers do that. But yeah, that was now. True readers do that. So yeah, that's been our little book rant here, and that's how you can get to know me and Jenna really, really easily. Um, all right, so we're gonna get into. We'll probably come back yeah. at that like a later date. And we're going to get on to our Avatar Last Airbender conversation fairly soon. But as we go in there, I'm going to make my normally video game shout out. My video game shout out goes to Final Fantasy XIV, which now has its starter edition on the PS4 free until the 26th. I know I'm telling you guys this late. This is currently May 24th when this drops. Um, it'll probably drop tomorrow on the 25th. So you have, still have a day. PS4. I believe you can also still get it off of Steam too. It's Final Fantasy XIV. You will get a free month with your subscription. It's an MMO. It is a glorious story and one of the greatest video games I've ever played. Period. Period. Final Fantasy XIV is such a fun game. And of course, the offer still goes out for some people who want to play this game but don't want to play alone. I will play with you. Um, Just hit me up on the Twitter. And... Instagram, and we can talk about doing something like that. 
Um, and of course, I want to touch upon some very tragic news in my purse in my personal, not my personal life, but my personal interests. Um, for people who don't know, it's been about two days since it happened. Um, Hana Kimura of Stardom World of Stardom Wrestling passed away on Friday, like late Friday afternoon in Japan after killing herself due to cyberbully attacks. Um, and it, I had just gotten into stardom wrestling for like the last year. And it's the very first women's company before shimmer that I ever got really, really into. And Hana, she just seemed like she always was having such a great time smile really in the moment. She's that kind of wrestler for people who know what I'm talking about, just seemed like a sweet person. And over the last two days, I've just read on all these wrestlers, Instagrams about Will Ospreay was done with a wrestling show and he's sitting like out by himself waiting for the train to come. And Hana Kimura just comes out there and sits with her while he's watching a video on his phone that she can't understand because she doesn't understand English completely at that point. And she just says, and, and it's funny because we'll ask her, like, you don't understand what's going on? Then why are you sitting with me? And she's like, I just wanted to be with Osprey-san and didn't want you to be alone. And Osprey kind of cried and a little inside. And um, Session Moth Martina was such good friends with her. And I've seen photos with her as well. Um, Tony Storm, um, Jamie Hayter. All these women have just been showing how how nice and how great she was to wrestlers who came over to Japan for wrestling tours. And for American and European and even like Australian wrestlers, you're being put into culture shock when you go over there. And, report, and due to a lot of reports, she would be a person that would welcome them, make sure that they had someone to talk to. And just she was just an overall good person. And to take her life over something... People are harsh. Be kinder to one another. We shouldn't be doing this. What What are you guys getting out of it? And here's the rant part of the part of the interview. What the fuck are you people doing? What are you doing? Why? Why would you do something like that? Push somebody to that point that they would actually take their life? What do you get out of that? What's the point? What's the point of shouting at somebody online? And. Uh, I'm sorry. It it really hit home, because um, I've known friends who've taken their life before, and it is just it's never it it hits home. So just be kinder to one another. And if you don't have anything good to say, keep it in your mouth, keep it in your thoughts. Get find an outlet that doesn't have to be negative. Turn it into something positive. Just just don't. And. It's all right. That's my rant. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I cut you off, Jenna. But I was just gonna say, just because there's a computer screen between you and that other person, doesn't mean that a it doesn't count for anything. B it's gonna hurt any less. And C you are not responsible because to hell you're not responsible. I was a part of an anti-bullying organization called Stand for the Silent for years. Um, I still have a lot of the, um, I still have a lot of like the wristbands that I would give out. Um, and it's just, it's terrible to hear stories of kids. The, the organization, uh, organization I was part of was specifically geared towards kids and hearing stories about parents finding 12 year olds, um, and even younger than that coming home 
after school or coming off of social media and even teenagers hearing about that sort of thing, it kills me. It honestly kills me because I personally make it my mission to make sure that anybody I meet knows that I want to be their friend until they're, you know, mean to me and honestly make it clear that they really don't want to be around me. So to hear that somebody is maliciously trying to be mean to somebody to this point, honestly, it makes me really upset. And I'm probably going to be thinking about that for a while because now it's stuck in my head. But anyways, that's the end of our little rant there. Be nice to yeah. people. Be nice to yourself. Don't let that sort of thing yeah. get to you. Um, and if you do need a shoulder to cry on, it's always good to look around and be able to open up to some of the people that are nearest to you and just talk it out. Make sure that you know that you are loved and that there are people around you who want you to stay in this world. Yeah. All right. So on to Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, so. Avatar The Last Airbender has just been trending. It's been everywhere. And guys, it's a series almost it's over 10 over years old. old. I, I think it's 15 years old already. Comments about and, like, the episode, one of the episodes in the second season being filmed 12 years ago. And oh my god, I remember watching these when they were airing. I watched Sozin Comet, Sozin Comet as it came out like on Nickelodeon. And I am, for one, I am so happy that was the t most yes, tense know, hour right? and a half of my oh life my God, it was awesome but um also the most epic closer to a show can we just agree to that a four-part finale we don't get that i mean even weird to get it the end of gravity falls yeah, yeah like four-part finales so... aren't done <laughs> i don't know i'm just happy i'm so happy yeah and and all that all together much less there they're just not know. done that way anymore and just... yeah i think like even for steven universe future that was like week after week after week and yeah maybe you got an hour but avatar did no we're doing the whole finale in one day we're not making people wait a week one full finale over two hours and it was the most tense two hours of my childhood life. Life. It was I so. Because it, it, it premiered during something. I remember it, I had to record it on the DVR, and I came back and I watched all four episodes at about eight at night, and then that was the only night my parents let me stay up that late. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna watch all four episodes, and then I'm gonna go to bed. I will just tell you, people. I did not go to bed. I went and I rewatched yeah. the first season after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, I, I did not. This is what follows Darian's traits of watching things out of order. I did not see the first episode, first episode of Avatar. I saw the second episode of Avatar and these like the last seven minutes when they're fighting on the boat in the second episode. Well, if you really that was my first episode of Avatar, and then like yeah, I think they reshowed Avatar. Just watch the episode that's called Ember Island Players. Yeah, and honestly, it's hilarious. Like absolutely hilarious. It's the definition of satire of the entire first two and a half seasons. 
but it gives an okay recap to the entire series. You get a lot of the main events, um, but it's not going to be a full replacement, but if you're just going in to watch Sozin's Comet, it's literally the last episode before Sozin's Comet starts, so I think that's why they put it there, and it makes sense, but honestly, watch that episode. A lot of people skip it because it's just explanation, but honestly, it is so funny. It is hilarious, and we finally, for those Zutara fans, we finally get to see a Zutara moment that it's not actually Zutara, but, you know. Right. The thing I like about that, that episode is that it's intensely funny. It's intensely funny throughout the entire episode. And then the last minute is like, okay, Avatar yeah, versus know, the Fire right? Lord. Fire Lord kills Zuko. Aang. Kills so all the funny's over. It's all like, the funny's over. It just dies. And, no, and it's just it's like death. death. Don't, don't, please don't get our hopes down for that next episode because mm, even after the finale, it was like. Yeah, okay. and like, I look. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's like Avatar has been like such a part of my like life and really has really made me think differently about cartoons because avatar was such it 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 made so many bridges to people and it's like hey cartoons don't have to be just comedy they don't have to be just like wacky anthropomorphic animals throwing like dropping anvils on each other no we can tell an actual story like an actual television show we're not just driven towards this hell episode three guess what yeah, yeah. this looks like a wholesome show. That's episode three, episode genocide. We see, and they don't, they don't literal shy genocide away from it. They show episode the three skeleton. They show Aang's general reaction, at genuine, sorry, not general, genuine reaction to it, and it feels so real. It's the first time you see him get that mad, and the next time I don't think you see that kind of anger until the sandbenders steal Appa away. So you don't see that for another whole season, basically. And it's really, really intense. Yeah. Yeah, and this series does everything remarkably well. It does its comedy well. It does its action well. And another thing that people forget about these about this in Avatar is that all of the bending yeah, disciplines are, are based off actual martial arts. Because, uh, they're based off actual martial arts. So all of them are based off of different types of bending. I know for a fact that um, uh, water bending is based off of Tai Chi. So you can see how that's influenced because of the way that it flows. But um, specifically, I want to talk about earth bending right now because earth bending in itself has one type i don't remember exactly which type of martial arts it's based off of but it has one type and then toff's earth bending and the earth bending she teaches to um uh ang and eventually her daughters is very different from actual like the earth bending discipline that's taught other places and she actually is based off of a different style and i think that specifically is one of my favorite character aspects for her because she 
defines herself as different from everybody else in multiple ways, not just because she is a blind and extremely powerful earthbender, and also, let's face it, <laughs> a really sassy mouth on that kid, but um, also because her bending is just so different and unique, and she you can see how she had to I, adapt and uses her disability to her advantage and teaches Aang how to use that sort of discipline. Yeah, and like, and it also is the same for when they learn um, the sun style of firebending, where it's about life and not yeah. veracity, like, furosity. Um, I think I said that right. <laughs> All right, but like, thank you. You're better at this than me. But like, um, <laughs> but like, they modified the firebending for both Zuko and Aang in the fi finale because they terrified so many people about firebending throughout the first season, throughout the entire Book of Water, yeah, especially when Aang traumatizes himself when he accidentally burns Katara. I watched that episode just yesterday, and I remember just looking at this episode, and I'm like, I, I don't want to watch this episode, but I have to. That's the, that's the part about that episode that messed with me. It's like, I don't want to watch this episode, but I have to. And it's just like, Aang burns him, and it's traumatizing for him, it's traumatizing for Sokka, and it's traumatizing for Katara. And that episode is so, so harsh to just watch, because they spend the entire season just illustrating that firebenders are these evil, evil people, which is stupid, because they're not evil. They're just brainwashed into thinking a certain way. And that's really how it is. It's just, it's not even them. It's um, whatever freaking Fire Lord ensured Sozan that, like, I, th I don't think it was Sozan. I don't whatever, think it was Sozan. It was whatever. But, like, it was whoever. That was Sozan. It was the one that helped uh, kill it Roku. Was whoever decided that instead of using the old ways of. Um, like uh, fire bending coming purely from the breath and from passion. It's instead coming from pain and rage and anger, rage. Sorry, and I think it's really, really indicative of how an entire culture can not exactly be brainwashed, but just be changed in that sort of way, because um, there were always good people in the Fire Nation. Like no, no. No entire culture is inherently bad. And I think that can be said for pretty much any situation. But um, no, I think that just especially with that Zhang Zhang episode, I can understand like everybody's fear of firebending if you had only watched to that point and you hadn't watched into the third season. Because obviously we met some good people from the Fire Nation, but we also met a hell of a lot of bad people. The one thing that I liked about that episode, it was handled for one. And also we got oh, to yeah. see because of that incident, we saw something good come of it in Katara discovering her healing abilities. And I think that was just absolutely the way to take it because as you watch on, uh, two people off the top of my head would not be alive without those healing abilities. You would not have Aang anymore and you would not have Zuko. Aang would have been killed by Azula in the second finale, and Zuko yeah, would have and... been killed in the third finale. And I don't know. I just I cannot 
stress enough that Katara's water bending, if you look at it from the first episode to the last episode, you can damn tell that she had a master because that girl went from zero to a hundred real fast. Yeah, like, I want to talk about, like, um, I want to get to Tara in a minute, but I also want to talk about, like, how the Fire Nation is based off Japanese, it's based around Japanese culture. They're very pride and power, and pride and powerful, I'm sorry, that was wrestling on my brain. Um, it, it's a very prideful nation, and the, it's very easy for them to get stuck in their ways. Um, and I was listening to something on Jericho's po- um, Chris Jericho's podcast just on um, Friday, um, about how they don't like to break rules. So a lot of the Fire Nation just really kind of fell into place. And they're just like, when Sozin just decided, hey, we're going to conquer the world. And it's like, hey, we're going to spread the glory of the Fire Nation everywhere. And when it comes to the Fire Nation people, mm-hmm. they're a prideful people. They follow their Fire Lord. And it was very much like, they don't want to break rules, so they just kind of fell into it. And then over time, that became, "Hey, we are a great nation. We should be spreading this to everybody." But they're not. See- but that's just the natural, the the normal population. They're not seeing the damage that they're doing, and like, which is why Zhang Zhang is so so fearful of his firebending and fearful about training anybody to use it because it came from a place of pain and the things that he had to do to you know, fight the fire and fight like the earth kingdoms and fight other people and the damage that he's done. It's also an Iroh and about the terrible things he had to do, which is why uh, there's so much layers to this show. And so and many layers that it's insane. While me and my sister were watching I don't know if you have anything to add, Jenna. Again. Yeah, she go ahead. never seen it chronologically. She had seen episodes while I was watching, but she wanted to watch it from start to finish. So over the last few weeks, that's what we did. A few times my mom or my dad would join and my mom once told me that she thought that it was kind of simple and all I could think is then you're not watching close enough because there are it at at first glance I will agree it's a pretty simple show kids stuck in an iceberg comes out to a hundred years war has to fight off the fire lord to restore the balance of the whole world but there are so many characters and subplots and just so many like running jokes for one the cabbage joke fun fact was only supposed to be limited to a single episode but was so popular that it bridged all the way into legend of Korra so we'll talk about that later but yeah um (laughs) but um there's just so many like little veins running through the entire show that you will miss if you don't watch either chronologically or you do not watch close enough. I have watched through this show six times now and I cannot tell you enough that there is so many little details that you need to pay attention to if you do go through with it because it is insane. And off of the... Well, yeah, so uh, one of the things I also want to talk about is comparison. Um, uh, can I go? A site called Hofstede Insights that I'm looking at right now, and if you guys are interested in seeing just how different the U.S. culture is to Japan's culture, 
it's like night and day in a lot of these. Um, and you can read more about that if you'd like. Uh, Hofsteadinsights.com, and then you can look at the cult, the country comparison, um, and it'll show you the two diff, like two different or three up to four different countries side by side, in a comparison of six different dimensions to just look at. And honestly, it's one of the coolest things to learn about, especially with Japan, um, and a lot of other Asian countries, because sometimes it's just it's polar opposite something might be down at 26 versus an 88 or you might have something that's surprisingly close like a 54 to a 40 comparison so just if you guys are interested in seeing just how like the cultures that these nations are based off of are compared to it's it's really interesting honestly yeah yeah, and one of the things I wanted to, like, illustrate, like, over the series is, like, Sokka's very super anti-white or black and white in the beginning of the series. And it isn't until he meets Jet that he um, that he adjusts his thinking, where it's like, hey, yeah, the firebenders aren't just all evil people. Because Jet, there's a character named Jet whose parents were killed by the Fire Nation. Um, and Jet just has a very black and white view of it. It's like, no, there's no such thing as a good firebender. There's no such thing as a good firebender to the point that Jet's going to destroy an entire Fire Nation town of people who haven't done anything wrong to the point that Sokka just goes out of his way to save them and almost at nobody, nobody was going to believe Sokka. This, This Water Nation kid that just came out of nowhere and then there was a kid that Sokka saved early, or not a kid, like an adult that Sokka saved earlier that told people to believe him and he ended up saving this town from being dumped in a dam and it was such a great episode um, the fanatical side of the side of, like, you saw the fanatical side of the people opposing the Fire Nation, you saw the freedom fighters you saw that every one of them came from a background that is sort of similar to the people that we are following closely. You saw somebody who lost their parents, like Sokka and Katara. You saw somebody who lost parts of their culture, like some of the people that we follow. And you just, you start to feel for them. But then once you get towards like the incident with Sokka and the old man, and then you also see the incident with the dam and you start to see that not all of the people who oppose the Fire Nation are also good people. Cause, so that starts to evolve the reader's perspective or the watcher's re- perspective. And I think it's really, really important that you see both sides of every story because um, the Fire Nation town was full of civilians. They were not people who were going to go up against the... like They were not people who were going to intentionally hurt anyone. And I think the same thing comes up in a later episode, The Puppet Master, where Hama is so upset at the Fire Nation for taking so many hostages uh, of the Southern Water Tribe that she starts to go after this little town. But I think that you start to see that there are bad people on both sides of the equation. And I think that just rounds out the user's or the uh, watcher's perspective of the entire show. Yeah, it's it's very, very, it's very, very, 
so in relation with so many stuff. The the key of this the first series of Avatar: The Last Airbender is war is bad, and it just brings out the worst in everybody, and I mean everybody, and like really there are people just taking advantage of it because the people who take advantage of it are basically Fire Lord Ozai, Azula, who I want to talk about how Azula is just so damaged because of this war. And at first you don't really feel like any. Well, I was just going to say that I have a lot of, or you want me to go into something else? Also involves some of the comics that come afterwards. So I think we should push that off a little bit. But honestly, yes, she is insanely damaged purely because this war was so intense and she lived through all of it because she was only born. She was only 13, 14 when this was happening. So this was a pretty intense war to be put through as a kid and then as an early teenager be put in charge of like a piece of it. So... There's a lot going on in her mind that starts to come into fruition in the search comics yeah. later after the series. And, um, my God, is she... She's put into a mental asylum, but she... Oh, my gosh. She is one of the most detailed characters. And every one of these characters is layered and detailed. But I think she is one of the ones that I see being the most... um difficult to write for the writers and i can see that in the way that they just they wanted to go into so much detail and so like she they wanted to get it right so i think that they did a really good job later on and just in like you can see her when she's slipping in sozin's comet it's very clear that she's slipping and even zuko sees it but like later on you you've just you don't feel the victory um of Suko's um winning over her you don't feel genuine like victorious you don't feel glorious you feel sadness that this person who's 13 years old and is now the leader of a, of a nation is just she's kneeling in front of you she's so damaged and she's crying hysterically in front of you. It, it hurts, honestly, to see something like that. I'm in no way defending the accent, though. Actions, though, because she—it's such a powerful moment. Stuff. But she has. Yeah, but at the same point, it's like it's—it comes down to that. Um, Nurture versus something. I cannot remember the word for what the proper phrasing for it. It's like, yeah, nature versus nurture. Because her father really brought out all of the really terrible aspects of her growing up. He brought that out of her. The culture around her brought that out of her. Because it's like, no, dominate everything. That's that's how you live. And like, it, you see that in the episodes after Zuko has betrayed like Katara, Iroh, and everybody, where now Azula, this is where Azula, that that part of the uh, the show where it's like Azula and Zuko are finally allowed to be brother and sister, she legitimately wants to be his brother, or his, his sister. She legitimately wants him back. 
And that was always the case as long as he fell in line. But you didn't realize how much until that part of the series. And when he betrays them again, she's just like, well, I guess you're not really my family after all. Fuck you. And how damaging that was. Yeah, and it just leads to her downfall. It's just like, you really don't see the difference at all. It's like, your brother does love you, really and you just can't feel that right now. For that reason is... And when, it was just in the episode with the boiling rock where May and Ty Lee finally betray her, and that's when you start to see her completely start to lose it. Because after that, especially like during the time before her coronation, you see her banish all of her servants, her daily agents, and her mentors, just banish them from the kingdom because she was like, Well, they're all going to leave and betray me eventually. Like May and like like May and Tylee did, and I think that is probably one of the most indicative pieces of this like entire thing. She is so she feels so betrayed and damaged, and she just wants some security, but she knows that nothing in her life is secure because it's based on fear and people fearing her. So they're always going to they're never going to stay fearful of her is what she's kind of thinking. Yeah, and it's, and this is where the, um, I'm kind of critical of like the final couple of episodes, regardless, even though they're incredibly good, because there's like some characters get completely sidelined. There are plot points left unresolved, yet, which, yes, now are have been resolved, but there were so many like left cliffhangers after the show was over. And it was like they were telling people, hey, the show's over. And I'm like, but why'd you leave this unresolved? You actually address it. Like the thing with Zuko's mom, which is comic book related, and I don't want to get into, but it's like you and like Ty Lee. Ty Lee is one of my favorite characters, and she gets very little shine and very little depth in comparison with Mai. And all of a sudden, they're just both gone throughout the last rest of the series. And I always hated that because it's just like, well, this sucks. But, um, I think and like, I think May and Tylee they do come back. May Go ahead. becomes uh, Zuko's girlfriend again, and Tylee becomes a Kyoshi warrior. I think that's a really good way of putting it. But I think that they could have, like, they could have done more with it. You know. Yeah, like one of the things I wanted to have happen was have them both escape from the prison, and like as Azula's going through her breakdown. Both Ty Lee and Mai show up and say, no, we do love you. We do love you. Look at what this is doing to you. And instead, it's just her just going through the most harshest moment of her life. And it's one of the hardest things to ever have to watch. And, like, that's what I wanted to have happen. And it just didn't. Like, there are so many great characters that you couldn't shine a light on everybody. I mean, I think everybody was happy that Suki came back. And like, I just love speaking of Suki (laughs) and Sokka. um, A. Yeah. Cause I really, I was, you kind of, I, I want to talk about like relationships in the show and shipping because the only could really relation romantic relationship in the show is Sokka and Suki. Everything else is just kind of weird 
put into weird situations like Katara and Aang, everybody's like, well, I ship them forever. And I'm like, yeah, but you have to remember, he's like a kid and she's like not that much older than him, but a little bit older and more mature than him that it just seems off a lot. And then with Mai and Zuko, they're both antagonists at one point in the show. And regardless of how you feel about them, they're antagonists and they have that kind of weird warped I like them, but I can't like them because they're quote-unquote bad guys. Whereas Sokka and Suki, Sokka went through so much before seeing Suki again. So much. That by the time they got back together... Sokka is scarred from what happened to Yue, first of all, and also really wants um, Suki... Like, he just wants her to be safe. He wants to be worthy of being with her eventually but um at the moment he doesn't know if he's ready for it and you can tell by the way that ends that there's just something there that he really wants yeah he wants suki but he doesn't know if he's ready for that sort of thing he wants to be able to care for her but he feels like he messed up so much with ua that um he he's scared but i think in the end he's like one of the most evolved characters in ideal sense because he goes from being a complete sexist pig let's be honest in the first episode yeah to, yes to completely respect he's an immensely sh- he's an immense chauvinist Suki. Uh, just completely loving the Kiyoshi warriors to death. So I think it's awesome. Yeah, Sokka and Sokka didn't get and I love that there's an entire episode dedicated to Sokka learning new swordsmanship, new disciplines, and he finally gets that moment because yeah. like even the writers are like okay, we haven't done enough with Sokka. We've got to do something. And then they finally do it. And it's one of my favorite episodes. Honestly, book the fire book is my favorite part of the series. It's my favorite part because there's so many, there's not just good like filler episodes. There's just good. It's a, it leads to a good finale. Everything's good in fire. Whereas everything just seems like it's kind of prolonging that penultimate moment. And kind of prolonging it, kind of prolonging it. And then in Fire, it's just like, no, we're going to capitalize on all these great moments now. And it's like, and like, my favorite episode is the Roku, is the Roku um, flashback episode. That is my favorite episode of the entire flipping show, ironically. It's like, it doesn't even focus around Aang. And I'm, I love that episode because. It has one of my favorite moments when Avatar Roku is like learning all the elements and he's finally got mastered of all of them and yeah, he controls all four elements at once elements in front of you Avatar and you'd Avatar. never That's seen that before. Aang had never done that. Once, but it is the first time we see a fully fledged Avatar bend all four elements at once and I think it's really important to see that before going into the finale. Because we don't want the finale to be the first time we see a fully fleshed out avatar. Yeah. 
yeah and this show has transcended so many so many boundaries and did so much stuff because without avatar we would not get um we wouldn't get Star Wars The Clone Wars in the depth that we got. We wouldn't get Steven Universe. We would not get Adventure Time. We wouldn't get the new DuckTales right now. All these shows would not be like the way they are had it not Avatar been for Avatar doing it first. It made it okay to be damaged. Like it, it, it took a lot of the issues that we see in the world today and we were like, they were like, it's okay. This is okay. It is not unnatural. It is okay. This is what happens. This is something yeah. that can happen to somebody. And it can be fixed. It can be remedied. It can also just be fine to stay as is. Because there are some issues in this where it's like, um, especially the Ember Island episode with uh, Zuko... Azula, Tylee, and May, where they're all sitting around the campfire talking about everything. And it's like you finally get to see why these Fire Nation teenagers are the way they are. Tylee grew up with six identical siblings. May was basically pushed into a perfect princess role, basically, because she had to think about her father's career. Azula even had her mother who thought she was a monster and as in her words she was right of course but it still hurt and then finally Zuko you hear that he's not mad at anybody but himself he's hor- he feels horrible for what he did in Bossing Say but he do- he just he wants to know why he doesn't feel better being back home and he wants to know why he feels so angry with himself and i think that episode in general just makes it feel so much more powerful yeah and that's and honestly the thing about this show that like and the reason that we compare the show to anime a lot is because Japanese anime slash cartoons, whatever the fuck you want to call them, are noted for doing going hard into their themes, going hard into their storytelling. And Avatar was the very first show to really do that. And Teen mind Titans you, alongside Avatar is Teen Titans on the Cartoon Network side of things. And they were going hard. Not Teen Titans. Yeah, not Teen Titans Go. Yeah, except the difference, the cl- there's as much comparison to both shows at the time because those were both shows that were noted for going hard. The difference between Avatar and Teen Titans is really thin. And the only difference I say is that with Teen Titans, things aren't really canonically well done. There's a, ca- there's a canon to things, but each episode is almost standalone until it's not. And then... Avatar, everything has a one flowing beginning, middle, end story. And they both went hard in their storytelling, which led to all these other shows doing it, which is why people are so in love with Adventure Time, so in love with She-Ra. And like even now when the Avatar oh, oh last God. Airbender showrunners made Dragon Prince, they're going hard with that. Let me just say and for it's listeners, like 
the best part about that show and the thing that drew me into it originally was yep. the main character is voiced by the same guy who voices soccer guys. It's really cool and it's awesome <laughs> and it's a really good show. So that's it. Yes, Sokka gets to be a main character. Sokka gets to be the main character in Dragon Prince. That, I say that Sokka died and got magic. reincarnated. He got reincarnated he so he could be the main right. character. And Callum is legitimately my favorite character in the show. He and he has magic. Money. I literally said, after watching that first series, he gets to... It's, okay. I literally said this. It's like, yes. um, Callum is literally Sokka reincarnated oh, into the avatar of Dragon Prince. That's what this is. And I love Dragon Prince. And honestly, that'll be a whole other podcast for another day. In fact, I want to do an entirely another podcast for American cartoons that go hard. Um, but Avatar, if you are not, if you have not watched it, if you've been on the fence, or if you're just one of those people who's jaded because you watched it back in the day and now everybody's discovering it, this is where I say, dude, now you get to let that freak flag fly and watch other people know it and enjoy it they're going to be kids in quarantine right now that have nothing but time to watch it now be happy for them and i'm really really excited for more people to get to know this um because now you can open the door into other anime like yes. another anime or another cartoon i wanted to add to that list that went hard as a cartoon freaking ruby goes freaking hard but let me just tell you and guys this i always look to um, that as like the way that it was done was meant to be yeah, and, basically a one-off and like Monty had a lot of ideas for where it could go, but it was meant to be short episodes on YouTube. Just watch it. Rooster Teeth has it as movies instead of shows on their site. Watch it through. There are seven seasons now. Just do it. It's awesome. It gets a lot better um, in that sort of sense, but just freaking do it. It is so good. That's my thing. I literally tell people, you have to watch, I will say, take time to watch Volume 1 as one sit-down. Do that. Then go watch Volume 2 as one sit-down. And then do that. And then Volume 3, when you get to like the last two episodes, take a break, then watch Volume, the end of Volume 3, and then watch the beginning of Volume 4 as much as you yeah, can, just to kind of recover from the end of Volume 3. Because once you hit Volume 3, you're sucked in. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> You're not leaving. It volume three changes everything about Ruby. It changes everything. The first two volumes do absolute really shit for Ruby. Absolute shit. Into the like, it's, story and what the rest of that series is going to be. And Lordy does it do it well because you start to see a lot of very interesting character dynamics come out. You see a lot of different aspects of the characters we already love come out, and you absolutely start to see this world that we thought was just going to be light and um, not exactly, like, um, super dark get really dark really fast. So <laughs> Super dark. It it like, really just goes really dark. It goes from being a happy-go-lucky show dark in so. one volume. It, 
and it is one of the hardest things to watch because once you get the volume four, everything is great. Everything is great from volume four onward. Um, and if, if you need anything, the, the music in Ruby is amazing, but that Ruby is another podcast entirely, but this has been our avatar, the last airbender Hello. podcast and my co-host, no, potentially right. a really returning guest, and I'm really Jenna. Thank you for joining us today. Cause I know you got stuff to do. Me back, and I am fully open to being co-host if you would like me to. So. <laughs> I would love you to, because otherwise it's just me talking to myself and nobody wants to hear that. All right. But this has been my podcast once again. Um, once again, this is Nerdrant Live. I do this for free. I do this because I have a lot of time on my hands. And in our next podcast together, which we have already talked about, we're going to address that topic that I've yet to do that I've talked about doing. And then we're going to talk about the analyzation of Harry, Petunia, um, Remus, Snape, and Rubius, which led to Harry being raised by the Dursleys and raised by Petunia and why there just weren't any other options. And now, for people who've read the books, it's pretty straightforward as to why it happens. But we're going to actually guys. talk about I that, and that will be in a and future I podcast really coming that, up soon. Uh, you all enjoy listening to this. Um, and 